boy. It happened again. We're glad you're here. Um, if you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you. What's going on on around right now are welcome books. We ask everybody to sign them. If, uh, you know, if you're a regular around here and your email address changes, your phone number changes, anything like that, be sure and, and write that down. We can uh, put that in our records so that we can get in touch with you if ever we need to. If you're here for the first time, if you can uh, let us know your information, we would love to shoot you a letter, uh, have somebody just give you a, a call and say thanks for coming, answer any questions, that kind of thing. And that would be cool. In just a second, the offering buckets are going to come by. And let me just tell you something about the offering time. It's, it really is uh, an incredible opportunity that we have to worship and give back to God in a tangible way. It's not a have to, it's a get to kind of thing. And uh, I, I mentioned a while ago, God blessed us in an incredible way this past year. We had more money than we had budgeted, and uh, that God allowed us to do some things. I'm here today to kind of give you the opposite end of things. Um, a week ago, Friday, if I cut to the chase, a furnace blew up. It cost $4,000 to fix. Um, that happened in the span of a couple of hours. Last weekend, if you were here, there were some funky smells coming from over by the restrooms. Uh, we had the furnace guys out again, and the two larger furnaces went kaput. Uh, this past week, uh, they're all 20 to 30 years old. We have a total of eight. We've now replaced five. Um, but in a period of about five days, we spent about $16,000 that we hadn't really planned for. So give generously if you would, um, God's got, uh, God always takes care of us, but, uh, just want to let you know kind of what's going on. And, um, it's possible those other three, because of the time frame of uh, everything, that they won't be long either. Um, like I said, God takes great care of us. And so uh, it's a neat thing, but God works through his people, and, and, um, and that's, a, that's just a cool thing. Um, this, this weekend, to me, is always just a really awkward weekend. Because, like, you're still thinking about Thanksgiving, Right? But you're thinking about Christmas, too. But it doesn't feel right to think about Christmas because it's November, right? But as soon as you go outside, the tsunami of Christmas hits, right? The music is everywhere. Um, all the advertisements are on TV. You see the decorations. Uh, how many of you decorate on Friday, this past Friday for Christmas? That's kind of a tradition in our house, but now we only have one child at home, so we didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the masses to help make that happen. And so, uh, uh, but it's kind of this awkward thing. Today's message really kind of fits in that, in that it's a, today's message is a bridge from the series that we've, uh, that we've been in called All That Jazz from the book of Psalms. Um, today we're going to look at Psalm 103. If you've got your Bibles and want to go there, we're going to get there in a little bit. But it, we're going to move from the Psalms from 103 over into Christmas. And our, our theme, our series theme for, for Christmas this year is extravagant, um, which, is a, which is just a cool idea. The idea that God has been incredibly extravagant in his love for us. And so we're going to look at Psalm 103, but it's going to take us to some applications that fit and that, that take us to Christmas. Um, Thursday, we had eight friends join us for Thanksgiving dinner at the Rubel household. We had some grandparents. 
We had some young parents with preschoolers. We had a single guy over to our house. It was an incredibly fun time eating and laughing and talking, playing some ping pong and even watching the Lions not just win, but win big. Right. It was an incredible day. Um, You know, before they came over, I was thinking, I wonder with 11 of us around the table, everybody from like age uh, two on up, will we be able to go around the table and say, what are you thankful for? So my mind was thinking that way. Anybody think that way? Think uh, your family maybe can do that at at Thanksgiving time. But I actually, as I was thinking about it, I thought, not what am I thankful for? I actually thought, what is it that I take for granted In my life, you know, it's easy to kind of point out the things that you're thankful for. But when you start to itemize the things that you take for granted, as soon as you make that shift, there's a whole bunch of stuff. In four or five minutes, I came up with a list of more than 20 clean drinking water, toilets, multiple sets of clothes and shoes, medicine when I get sick, access to transportation that can take me around the city, around the country, around the world. A hat to shield my bald head from the sun. Rain gear for when the storms come. A bed to sleep on. Walls that are solid and don't let bugs through. A yard with grass. A pretty good chance that my grandkids are going to make it from infancy up into adulthood. That they're going to survive and live. A refrigerator to preserve my food, an oven to cook that food, hot water to shower with, the ability to wash and dry my clothes with a minimum of effort, tools that help me build and fix things, more items for recreation than I can count, the ability to read and write, the ability to communicate with my friends and family no matter where they are, a job that allows me to buy almost anything I need or want, a family to love and care for a God who knows me, loves me and adopted me into his family at an incredible price. What do you take for granted? What is it that you don't often think about? Here's what I think I learned Thursday morning as I was thinking through those things. I think that President Lincoln had it right when 150 years ago he set aside this holiday and said, I I want this to be a day of thoughtful introspection about the blessings of God. That when we think about the way that God has cared for us, it changes our perspective. It changes the way that we see the world around us because we have these hearts that are full of thanksgiving A truly thankful heart compels us to join God in the work that he's doing all around us. And so the psalmist writes in Psalm 103, go ahead and take out your Bibles. If you don't, uh, if you've got an electronic device, open that up. If you don't have one of those, take one of the Bibles out uh, from the pew in front of you. Um, If you can't see the small print, look up on screen. All right. Um, But the psalmist says this. That, takes, that, that gives us a springboard from thanksgiving. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. When we started the, the, all that jazz series, when we started in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 1, you remember that very first week we, that Psalm 1 starts, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand 
in the seat in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Remember, and we talked about what it means to be blessed. We, we said that there's this sense that God blesses us when we're the right person in the right place, doing the right stuff that God has called us to do. And God looks down and says, oh, that's good. He smiles at us. There's that sense of blessing that comes when we live that life. How is it that we, God's creation, can bless the one who made us? I don't know. But when we engage all that is within us, I think that God in heaven looks down and says, oh, man, that's incredible. And he finds the sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in his creation coming back to him with hearts that are full of praise and full of thanksgiving. Um, it, it means to come with, uh, how do we bless God? We come with hearts of love. We come with hearts of gratitude. Everything in us, our, our, our physical bodies, our, our voices when we praise, our, the things that we say, our speech, our hands, the things that we do when we worship, when we serve, when we bring our emotions And it's not just an intellectual love of God, but that our heart just bubbles with overflowing. And and thanks God that God is blessed. That we use our intellect, that we use our heads, that the things that we create, the thoughts that we think, reflect on the goodness of God. And God looks at us and says, oh, that's so cool. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything in me. Bless his holy name. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The end of verse 2. In in, in, um, poetry in Hebrew is different than poetry in in English, in, in English, our poetry it tends to be uh, driven by a rhyme scheme or, or a particular cadence. In Hebrew, it's actually different than that. Hebrew poetry um, usually involves some kind of contrast where, where the, the writer will say, oh, this is true, but this is not true. And he uses that to try and communicate a message. That's one way of Hebrew poetry. Another method of Hebrew poetry is to lay a foundation and then to say it a different way, and then to say it a different way, and then to say it a different way, so that there's this flood of, of thoughts that come that take you to the place to understand what the writer's saying. That's the case in Psalm 103. David says, I'm, I'm not going to forget any of his benefits. What are those benefits? He forgives all your iniquity. Iniquity is not a word that we use very often, but it means sin. All the junk, all the bad stuff, all the mistakes that we make, all the spiteful things that we do. David says, God is the one who forgives our iniquity and heals our diseases. For most of us, when we think diseases, we think physical stuff. But I think it's probably more accurate to think with this writer in Hebrew poetry, that he was talking about spiritual diseases. He was talking about the condition of our soul. Now, pause for just a second. Let me just say this. God is the one who heals us. Even though we live in a place with surgeons, with medicines, with all kinds of stuff, God is the one who heals us. God is the one who has the ability to heal us, who does that over and over and over again. But I think in Psalm 103, what he's really talking about because of the way that this psalm is put together, he's talking about what's going on inside us. 
when he says that he heals our diseases. He heals the sickness that's in our heart. He, he heals the, those feelings, that emotion, those actions that we take that drive us from relationships, that, that separate us from God. He forgives our iniquity. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. You may be at a place today that you f- feel like that describes where you are. Everybody around you is jazzed for Christmas. Everybody else around you has big families that they celebrate Thanksgiving and your life is a mess. You feel like you're in this black hole and the walls are falling in. God is the one who redeems your life from the pit. What an incredible thought. No matter how deep it seems, no matter how far away God seems, God is the one who pulls you out of that. Um, He takes care of you. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Think about the, the love of God being a crown that is set on your head that symbolizes the relationship that you have with him. God saves you, but he crowns you. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. James said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no sin, no guilt, no imperfection at all. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is all about remembering God's benefits to us, remembering the ways that he has cared for us, the things that he has spared you from, the opportunities that he's given you. It's so easy for us, isn't it, to focus on all the things that are wrong in our lives. Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. This is a mess. This is a mess. So easy to focus on those negative things. It's so easy to be consumed by the problems that exist in our world. If, If you're fighting depression this morning, can I give you just a real tangible prescription? Memorize the first five verses of Psalm 103. You can do it this week. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget his benefits. And and, and just go through the process that you begin to memorize those five verses. And I'll tell you what will happen. As you memorize those, as you layer those pieces in one on top of the other, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind pictures from your life that capture each of those phrases. He rescues me from the pit. When was it that I was in the pit? And that picture will come to mind. The Holy Spirit will do that. If you're struggling, memorize those five verses and just keep quoting them over and over and over again. In the next eight verses, David describes the nature of God. He says, I've got to remember what God has done for me. But then he goes on to explain who God is. Um, this morning we sang, you're a good, good father. What, what a cool song to sing leading up into a time of dedicating babies, right? If you had a great father when you were growing up, you get that. And that song makes sense. That's who you are, God. You're a, you're, you're a good, good father. It may be, though, that you didn't grow up with a father who was there. If you had a father that was disengaged or distant. And so that song, that's a struggle to sing. The next eight verses describe, they describe what a father is supposed to be. 
because they describe who God is. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He explained himself. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He won't always strive with us, another translation says. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. What is it that a good, good father looks like? A good father works to bring about righteousness and justice for the oppressed. A good father um, works to make sure that things are fair in the world that, that he has uh, control over, that, he, that he's involved in. He tries to treat his kids fairly, to try and make sure that they're in an environment where as much as possible there's justice and righteousness, justice for the oppressed. A good father is merciful and gracious. His mercy just kind of um, exudes from every part of his body for his kids. His love for them drives his ability to direct and redirect and discipline, but to discipline in a way that draws them to truth and draws them to himself. A good father is slow to anger, abounding in love that never quits. Um, You know, if you've been around someone in your family, maybe your dad, maybe it's you, that say, you know, I'm just an angry person. Drop of the hat, I fly off the handle. That's not God, right? God is slow to anger, abounding in love that never ends. The psalmist says that we won't always strive with God. Understand that a good father has some tough conversations, some conversations that are hard to hear. A good father says things that we don't necessarily want to be confronted with. But the psalmist says, those, those conversations are not going to last forever. They're, they're there to help us become the people that he wants us to be. That God, when he has that kind of relationship with us where we're striving, the striving's coming from our end, and God doesn't want that to last. God doesn't stay angry. God doesn't give us what we deserve. In verse 11, the psalmist says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. God recognizes the weakness of who we are. And he's gentle with us. Think about this. The limits of God's love are incomprehensible. Several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 8. And, we, and remember, I showed some pictures that day, pictures of stars that were really far away. One of those pictures was 155 million light years away from Earth. Light years, 6.55 trillion miles per second or uh, uh, no, 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 180,000 miles per second, 6.55 trillion miles per hour. There we go. Thank you. Um, 155 million light years away from us. The psalmist says, as far as the heavens are from the earth, so great is God's love for us. God's love knows no limits. It's, it's, infathomable for us. 
So many times people say, I don't know that God can love me. Please understand God's love can cover anything. It's, a, it's abundant. He wants to wrap his arms around you. As far as the east is from the west, God has taken our sins and thrown them that far away. And just like a father's heart breaks for his children, so God's heart breaks for us. When our son Joe was two years old, he had a whole bunch of ear infections. Been there, done that, you know, where the ear infections just keep coming and coming and coming. Um, We had surgery to put the tubes into his ears. Uh, This is almost 20 years ago. And and I remember going back with Joe and and with a two-year-old, they didn't, they didn't do the pill thing to knock him out. They actually put the mask on him. I remember being with him on the table, seeing the terror in his eyes as that mask came down on his face and he had to breathe in those fumes that would knock him out. Um, it, it was one of those snapshots that has stuck with me because my heart was dying, knowing that what he was going to experience was, was, to his, uh, was better for him, but knowing how terribly he was afraid at that moment. Just like a father has compassion on his children, God has compassion on us. He's not up there waiting to whack us around. He's, he's waiting to put his arms around us to love us. David finishes the psalm by just going back. If you look down in there, you just see over and over again, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. God uh, has done incredible things in my life. God's nature is pretty incredible. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I mentioned just a few minutes ago that that this really is, this message is kind of a a transition from all that jazz to our Christmas series that's titled Extravagant. That it's about the extravagant love that God has for us. God has overwhelmed us with his goodness and his love. And so as we think about Christmas this year, there's this sense of the extravagance of God for us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so extravagant is his love for, those, uh, for, for us, for those um, that, that love him. If that's true, it causes us to respond. It compels us to respond. Thanksgiving is great, but for Thanksgiving to make sense, there has to be some action that happens after that. It demands that we don't simply just receive, but that we in turn, that we demonstrate, that we live out extravagant generosity in the way that God has shown it to us. When you remember all the things that God has done for you, all the benefits that you've experienced, you've got to take action somehow. And the the rest of my message, I I want to talk about two paths, two options that you can take to get there, to do some very um, specific things to respond to the to the extravagance of God. The first is simple. We've already talked about it a little bit. It's um, it's next week. Michigan blood is coming. And and I want to encourage you as an act of extravagant generosity to donate your blood next week. Um, this is not, what we're doing next week is not about just simply community service. Oh, that's a good thing. We'll donate blood. Realize that there are people all over the state of Michigan that are in desperate need of blood at the holidays. And that in, in a simple act of generosity, you can take 15 minutes next Sunday while you're here and donate your blood. For some of you, it's no big deal at all. You donate, you've donated before. It's not a big deal. You think, oh yeah, they're going to take blood. It'll all be done in 15 minutes. I, you know, I get up and walk away. It's an easy thing. Been doing it a long time. If that's who you are, sign up, give next Sunday. That's easy. For others of you, 
you say, no, this is a really big deal to give blood, right? I don't like needles, right? Anybody there? I don't like blood. Anybody there? And I especially don't like needles in my blood, right? It will be uncomfortable, very uncomfortable for you to donate your blood. And here's the challenge. If God has blessed you, don't let your discomfort, don't let your discomfort get in the way of being extravagantly generous next Sunday because you have the ability to give. All you, all you got to do is out at the missions kiosk, sign up for a time next week. Um, I, would, I would love for them to come and them have a sense that God is in the area where they're taking blood. Because we're, get, we're donating blood and praying for them. Praying for the people who are working. And that they would understand that we're giving not out of a community service kind of thing, but because Jesus said, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. That our blood donation is a demonstration of our faith in God. It's a, it's a way that we live that out. That's, that's one path. The second path really comes from the trip that Jeff Kimmy and I made to Ecuador uh, a week ago. Um, and I, I just I want to tell you about it because there's there's some real specific, tangible things that come out of that. Um, we flew into Quito, uh, spent the night in a hotel, uh, went to San Lorenzo in the, in the northwest corner of Ecuador. San Lorenzo is a town of about 30,000 people. It's on the border of Colombia. It sits on a river. Um, it's a scary place. In the last uh, 15 years or so, the population has multiplied as there have been people that have fled Colombia and come into San Lorenzo. It's kind of like an old west town. If, if, if that makes sense, um, it's it's a scary place that's there. Uh, there's a pastor that we met there named Pastor Herman. Uh, we've got a picture for you of Herman and his wife. Um, he's been there for about 12 years. He was a, uh, uh, as a child. He was taken care of by the church, by Compassion International, ended up walking away from God, was homeless, was uh, was one of those guys very comfortable in a dangerous situation. God saved him, redeemed him. He's now a pastor, and it's, his story's incredible. His church in San Lorenzo has become kind of the hub for the work of Compassion International in that segment of, of Ecuador. What Jeff and I went down to explore was a partnership that exists between Compassion International, which is an organization that helps release children from poverty, from the, from the worst kinds of poverty, in the name of Jesus, and an organization called Stadia that plants churches. Compassion International will only go where there's a church. They'll only partner with a church to bring relief to kids in that place. So there are a number of places in the world where extreme poverty exists, terrible conditions. But Compassion can't go and minister because there's no church there. We're not talking about not a big church, not a threat. There's no church there, no presence of Jesus. So about five years ago, Stadia connected with compassion and said, is there a way that we can help U.S. churches plant a church in a place of abject poverty, a place that's terrible? Can we help plant a church there? Compassion come in and sponsor kids there and, and there begin to be the presence of Jesus in that part of the world. 
Five years ago, they did a pilot program with four churches. This year, they'll plant 30 churches in Central and South America. Next year, they expect, expect to plant 50 churches through that partnership with Stadia and Compassion. There is not enough time this morning for me to tell you everything that we learned and saw and experienced, except to say that there is this incredible opportunity to bring Jesus to a place that doesn't know him at all. Um, Marcella is a, is a woman that we met there. She lives on an island called Pampanal. Pampanal is an island uh, a little bit away from San Lorenzo. It's a place where every house on this island, about 1,000, 2,000 people live there. Every house on the island is on stilts because twice each month, almost the entire island is covered with water. If you think about that, the entire island covered with water, even when it dries out, it's wet and muddy and mucky and children are playing in the mud with nothing. The disease that's there, the bugs, uh, it's crazy. Um, Marcella's 25 years old. She looks like she's 40. Her husband left her when she was pregnant with her daughter for another woman. She and her daughters live in an eight-by-eight room that a friend has provided for them. She has no furniture, no bed. All of the clothing that she and her daughters have fits on a shelf on one of the walls in the room on another on another wall there's a shelf that 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 holds the blanket that they sleep on rather than a bed Um, marcella only had um, education through first grade that's the limit of her education Um, marcella's job is that she goes out into the water in the mangrove trees and digs mussels out of the mud and sells them if she can collect a hundred mussels a day, she'll make $4. And that $4 will feed herself and her two daughters for the day. She lives an incredible life. Um, the reason that we met Marcella and went to her home is because two years ago, Compassion took Marcella into the, what they called their child survivorship program. Marcella was pregnant. And they provided prenatal vitamins. They provided food for her so that the baby that was growing inside her womb would have a chance to survive. In places of of extreme poverty, the child mortality rate is incredibly high. But with the Child Survivorship Program, it's a three-year program where they take women in. They take care of them in, in the prenatal phase. But then they take care of them during the first few years, the first two years of the child's life as well. And, and what, they've, what they've found is through their child survivorship program that the child mortality rate where, the ch- where the CSP exists is similar to that in the U.S. They can save children from dying because they're a part of the program. Compassion is a, um, compassion is a, is a program that involves child sponsorship, families in the U.S. and in, in North America that sponsor kids for $38 a month to help take care of their physical needs, their medical needs. Um, and, and an incredible thing happens when through that partnership with Compassion and Stadia, a church is planted. Forty women come into the child survivorship program. 150 kids in the community uh, get sponsors from, from the U.S. that help take care of their needs. This new building goes up and all of a sudden, Um, God is working in incredible ways because the gospel has credibility in a way that you can't imagine. For every child in Compassion who's sponsored, every woman who's in the child survivalship program, 
They impact directly 30 people in the community. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, neighbors, friends. So when those children learn about Jesus, when those women in the child survivorship program learn about Jesus, it has the ability to transform a place incredibly. Um, Go ahead and go to the picture of Marcella, if you would. That's Marcella and Jeff and I and her two daughters. Incredible woman. Um, We prayed for her. We asked what we could pray for, and she said, pray that I would have an income so that I wouldn't have to dig in the mud for the muscles so I'd be able to provide for my kids. We, We prayed for it. It was an incredible time. When we were done, she said, get this, Marcella is a follower of Jesus because there's a church in Pampanal. Marcella is a follower of Jesus. When we were done praying for her, she said, could I pray for you guys? It's pretty humbling, you know, to know that we've got a sister in Christ there who's concerned about us when we have so much and she has so little. Um, here's a picture of, of, uh, of Marcella's pastor, uh, a terrific guy named Jorge, uh, who's the pastor of the church on Pampanal. Here's a picture of the church in Pampanal as well. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a fancy structure at all. But it's making a huge difference in this island. Um, here's what happens in that par- partnership. A church in the U.S. or multiple churches um, bring together $87,000. And for $87,000, they can buy land and build a building that can be a beachhead for Christ in a place where there's deplorable conditions, where there's abject poverty, where there are people who are dying that there is no reason for them to die, people who are dying from disease that's preventable, people who are dying because of malnutrition. Um, and, And the combination of the building, the church that begins to spring up there as pastors like Jorge begin to minister in the name of Jesus, the sponsorship and the kids that are being taught about Jesus hours every week, that begins to infiltrate the community and begin to change it in an incredible way. This past Tuesday, the elders here at North Point said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to do it at whatever level we can. And so here's the challenge. I, I want you to pray, if you would, to pray that, to ask God, how can you be involved in that process? How can we as a church be involved in, in planting a church in a dark place where Jesus isn't um, currently um, you know, you might think, okay, what's that going to look like down the, down the road? Take a look at this next picture. The last day that we were there, we went to a community that's had a compassion project for 35 years. For 35 years, kids in poverty have been sponsored by, by folks just like you and me. And, um, uh, and that building that you see there, that was all funded with Ecuadorian because the community began to be transformed. The most incredible thing for me out of the entire trip was when we were at that, that, that church, their kids did a program for us. And I watched these kids sing and dance and, uh, and, and interact. And they had sparkle in their eyes. They, they understand who they are and who God is and how much he loves them. They're energized by the opportunity that they have to make a difference in their community, even at a young age. They have dreams that couldn't exist where poverty had overtaken things. Um, 
this model that we're talking about, it has the ability to transform the lives of individual people to bring Jesus to them, to transform for eternity, but also the, the chance to transform a community as well. For me, this is personal. I got, I got to tell you, it's, it, this is personal for me. Two years ago, Deb and I began to sponsor two children in the San Lorenzo community, William and Catherine. Um, while we were there, I got a chance to meet them, to touch them, to talk to them. The day I saw him was the day before Catherine's eighth birthday. William had just turned seven about a month earlier. Um, You know what? William and Catherine are beginning to thrive because Deb and I are involved in sending them $38 a month and writing letters back and forth and praying for them. William's mother was there when I met them. And, um, and, and as, as we were in a rush to kind of get out, she said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah. She said, could you pray for my daughter? She said, my daughter is sick, and I don't know if she's going to survive. That's the condition of the world that they live in. And it's all preventable if we'll take steps to be involved, to introduce people to Jesus. Um, Here's the, here's the challenge today, and it's a real clear challenge. If Thanksgiving is real, if Thanksgiving is more than just a turkey and football, if we really have hearts that are grateful, that we can say with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. If that's real, that compels us to take action. And as we think about this Christmas season and all the stuff that's involved, all the money that we'll spend, everything that we'll do, the challenge is we have an opportunity to give and to transform the lives of individual people, to transform a community and introduce them to Jesus for the very first time. I'm going to send in a letter out this week that talks about specifically how you can do that. We're going to do a special offering at the Christmas Eve service. You can give between now and then. Um, I don't, I don't know if we can raise $87,000 here. That's more than a month's worth of offerings for us. I don't know that we can do that. But I know that God has blessed us incredibly. And Christmas is not your birthday. I don't know what that means. But I'm struggling with the money that we spend for gifts for our kids. Is there a way that we can match that and bring things back into perspective? Into what matters? Because there are people dying without Jesus that don't know him. God has blessed us so much. So here's the, here's the request. Would you, would you pray? Would you pray for Northwest Ecuador? Would you pray for, for North Point that we might figure out how we can be a part of what, of, of what God's doing there? We don't have to create the wheel. We can jump on board to, what, to the way that God is already working and pray and ask God how you directly can be involved in that process. Let's pray. God, we... We really are overwhelmed when we think about all that we have, the things that we take for granted, the things that we're thankful for. God, we're, we're sobered when we, when we realize 
that we're no different than Marcella, except that we were born here in the U.S., and she was born on an island in Ecuador. God, I ask that you would help us see with your eyes. God, that you would give us grateful hearts that cause us, that compel us to imitate you, to act with extravagant generosity, God, to lavish love on people around us, to not hold back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.